Hey, Table Church, we're back for another Sermon Extra podcast. This is where we take a little bit of a deeper dive into the sermon from Sunday. Thanks for listening, Um, or at least I hope you're listening. Hey, if you're listening, let me know. Shoot me an email and tell me I'm not just speaking into the void right now, that this is actually making it into somebody's ear holes, and it's not all for nothing. It'd be a a great encouragement to me. Um, hopefully you're listening. I, I feel like there's always something left over from, from the sermon that I never, I, I wasn't able to fit in to the actual sermon on Sunday or some thoughts that I have after Sunday or whatever that pertains to the, to the sermon, to the subject that I like to share. So hopefully these are helpful for you. Um, we, we kicked off a new series on Sunday called encounters with Jesus. And we looked at John one, his, uh, Jesus calls Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel is skeptical of Jesus at first. When Philip comes to him, he says, hey, you know, we, we found this guy. He's, he's the one the prophets told of. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's classic response is, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And uh, by the way, I didn't talk about this in the sermon, but I love his, Philip's response was just, come and see. Um, that's very instructive about what evangelism should look like. <laughs> I'm, oh, by the way, I am in San Diego right now in a hotel room. I'm at a conference for our district right now. And this morning we had a speaker at our conference and he talked about the very passage that I preached on on Sunday, Jesus is calling of Nathaniel. And, and he, he had this excellent way of kind of pointing out how evangelism needs to look like what Philip did there. He calls it come and see evangelism where it's not like I got to come convince you of everything. I just got to say, Hey, you know, this dude changed my life. I, come and see. Come and meet him for yourself. Anyway, we'll talk more about that another time. Um, but the point that I made on Sunday was was that um, the cure for doubt is not evidence, but encounter. The cure for doubt. So Nathaniel is a skeptic. He's a doubter. And the cure for him was not evidence. Philip isn't like, oh, well, let me give you three logical proofs as to why Jesus is the son of God or something like that. Um, he says, come and see. And then Nathaniel has his own encounter with Jesus. And it, it's a little bit of a bizarre thing. I don't know if it's bizarre. I mean, the point I tried to make was that I think it's a rather personal thing for, for Nathaniel, right? Jesus is like, I saw you under the fig tree. And he's like, what? Whoa, you're the son of God. You know, he does a 180 degree flip just because Jesus says that sentence. I saw you under the fig tree before before Philip called you. And that's all it took. And I kind of tried to say this encounter that we're talking about here, it's often a very personal thing. Um, it's not a matter of evidence. It's a matter of encounter. You can have all the evidence in the world. Um, but until you have that kind of, um, personal moment with God, we haven't fully owned our faith. We haven't fully appropriated our faith, which is a word that Kierkegaard's going to use by the way, Kierkegaard. Let's talk about Kierkegaard today, shall we? He, he's a guy, you've heard me mention him before. Um, so let's let's nerd out a little bit on Kierkegaard. And um, let me just tell you why I mention him a lot and why it is that just recently in my life, I've kind of come around to reading him and appreciating him. First of all, who is he? he Kierkegaard is a 19th century Danish philosopher. 19th century means like the 1800s, okay? Uh, he died relatively young. He was only 42 years old, I believe, when he died, 42 or 43. Uh, but in his short life, he produced an enormous output of writings. Uh, he, he wasn't um, 
especially popular in his lifetime. In fact, he was a rather divisive guy. I think that's probably part of what makes me like him. He really took it to the institutionalized church. Um, anyway, that, that's for another, another time. But after he died, his, his writings have really spread and taken root. He's known as the father of existentialism. If you've ever heard of existentialism, it's kind of like a branch of philosophy that really emphasizes the existing individual, not like abstract thought, but like your, how you live your life. Um, and, and he's known to be kind of the first or the father of, of existentialism. And um, so one of the points that he makes is that you could have all the proof in the world for your faith. Uh, you could have 100% certainty, right? Um, but you still don't have faith yet. You would only have what he calls an approximation because you haven't yet necessarily had that inward, that um, that encounter, you know, that we're talking about here. So in fact, he, he has two, there's, let me unpack a couple words that he uses. First of all, he uses the words objectivity and subjectivity. So objectivity is the word that really summarizes the mentality of the modern world. So modernity is the, the time period in history, which we are still in more or less, that emphasizes a human's ability to kind of disinterestedly analyze data and come to the truth. So objectivity is the scientist in the lab standing over and above the evidence and interpreting the evidence simply on its own merit and not on his or her own bias. He's, he or she is objective. They are simply weighing the evidence and coming to the truth through their own powers of kind of sheer cold reason. All right. Objectivity emphasizes disinterestedness. And it, the enemy of objectivity is bias or, well, interestedness. The, 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 the good scientist, the good modern rational person is one who will remain disinterested, uh, and simply come to the truth through careful logic. I hope that's making sense. Kierkegaard is amazing because he kind of sees through that as a ruse. And he's like, no, actually there's all sorts of interestedness in that entire project. First of all, the desire to be disinterested is, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's a bias. I mean that you're interested in that, you know? Um, so anyway, that's objectivity. And it, objectivity has taken over kind of the mentality of the modern world. And he says, listen, objectivity is like the enemy of faith, not the enemy, but it's like the opposite. Um, he, he doesn't hate objectivity. He thinks that there's times, you know, he's not against evidence and science and things like that. Uh, but he says, when it comes to faith, like you need to be infinitely interested, you know? And so anything that, anything that kind of discourages that is, is not going to necessarily help you much. And, and if you have all of the evidence in the world that you objectively um, weigh and, and all that stuff, and you come to the conclusion that yes, there is a God, he's like, you're, you're still not, that's not faith, what you have there, whatever it is, it's not faith. Uh, and so he also talks about kind of the opposite, subjectivity. Subjectivity is our, um, 
yeah, it's the interested side of things. It's, it's the inwardness that faith requires. Let me read you a quote from him. By the way, if, if you hear a train in the background, it's because there's a train in the background. <laughs> and it's very loud and very frequent as it happens. Um, he's talking about objectivity, and he says here that when it comes to the, the objective person thinks it is assumed. Oh, this is a good point. Please, yeah, check this out. It is assumed that if only the objective truth has been at- obtained, appropriation is an easy matter. Okay, let me pause and unpack that. For the objective person, and this is so easy, I, I fall into this trap all the time. Um, you think, okay, only if I can get to the objective truth through my, through reason and data, then appropriation will naturally follow. Appropriation is like actually living it out, right? So if I if I can just prove to you that God is real, then everything else will fall into place. Like you'll suddenly start to be a Christian. Holiness will just come naturally and love in your heart for God and others will just come naturally. If only if only I can get through the the real hurdle of proving it to you, then appropriation will just take care of itself. That's that's the objective point of view. Um, and, and I see that, I see that all the time. Like we spend so much time in evangelism training or like apologetics and stuff like that. Like the, the important thing, the big thing, the hard thing is proving them that to them that, that Christianity is true. And then, you know, living it out, actually having a, a passionate interest in who God is and loving him with your whole heart, soul, mind and strength. Like, Oh, that'll just, that'll just kind of take care of itself. Um, and, and Kierkegaard flips on his head. He's like, no, no, that that's, you got it backwards there. Um, the appropriation should not be the footnote here when it, when it comes to our faith. All right. So I don't know. I just think that's a really good, a really good point. Um, here's another quote. He says, when the matter is treated objectively. Okay. So when faith is treated objectively, the subject cannot impassionately relate himself to the decision. Okay. So I think he's just basically saying here, if faith for you is entirely an objective matter, you can't bring, you know, you're not going to have an inward passion towards, towards this God that you're supposedly seeking. Um, to be infinitely interested in relation to that, which at its maximum always remains only an approximation. Okay. Pause. So if your faith is only ever an approximation because it's simply an objective matter to you, um, he says that, that that's a self-contradiction. And he says it's a self-contradiction and is thus comical. Like he thinks it's funny to imagine that you can take an objective approach to an entirely objective approach to faith and, and somehow believe that you're still going to be inwardly, uh, passionate about it. And he says that if passion is posited, nevertheless, zealotism ensues. And so this is where I think for him, he's saying this is where like fundamentalism, fundamentalistic, uh, fundamentalist, like zealotism comes from. It's when you treat faith entirely objectively and not a matter of the heart, not an inward transformation, but it's just a a bunch of rules. It's just a, a, a bunch of, you know, um, it's like a, a metaphysical truth to think about or something like that. Uh, when somebody attaches their passion to that, then they become fundamentalist zealots and, and they miss the forest for the trees. So I don't know. I think that's kind of a, a, a profound point. And when you, the more you think about it, the more true it seems to me that, that when we 
lack that um, encounter, that inward, um, you know, moment or passion to actually love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, then we're still we're no we're no farther than we've ever been. It doesn't matter how much proof you have. Now again, I, I'm not against arguments for the existence of God. In fact, we may even do a series on that kind of stuff at some point. We'll see. I, I'm interested in that too, and and I think it matters in this day and age of of skepticism. But my, I, I kind of share Kierkegaard's alarm that in the midst of quote unquote modern objectivity that the church has kind of lost the inwardness part that now it's like, well, if I go to church and if I say, I believe these things and I check all these boxes, um, I'm, I'm a Christian, but with Kierkegaard, I want to add my voice and say, uh, no, um, a, a Christian in thought alone is not a Christian. And all the evidence in the world cannot replace an encounter. Right. So there you go. That was a little, a little crash course in a small sliver of Kierkegaardian thought. And, um, I hope that it was helpful to you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this little, this little nerd zone we just had. And I hope to see you on Sunday for the next installment of our series. We're going to talk about, Oh, what are we talking? I think we're talking about the woman at the well on Sunday. Pretty sure. Unless that's a sermon I already preached. I get them mixed up sometimes. Whatever. Thanks for listening, everybody. God bless you.